Let me, let me sort of, um, while you're turning there, let me, let me give you a, a little uh, explanation, a little reminder every so often it's good to do this, um, of our practice here at Grace Covenant. Um, we uh, typically, more often than not, uh, we have broken it, the rule sometimes. It's, I guess it makes it not a rule. Uh, but we typically uh, preach through books of the Bible. Um, you come, it's, it's my assumption, it's certainly my, certainly true of me, um, it's my assumption you don't come to hear me, uh, that you don't come to hear what I've been thinking about for the past week or so. Uh, we come because we want to send under God's Word together and see what He has to say to us. And it's also our conviction, as, as 2 Timothy 3 uh, reminds us, that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. All of Scripture is inspired by God and is useful. It's profitable for us uh, to equip us, to train us, to correct us. Uh, and so uh, we hide uh, from no book of Scripture. Um, now that may mean it takes a little longer to get to some books of the Bible than others, but um, we generally as a rule are not hiding from God's Word uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and so today, we're in our second sermon in Malachi. Um, I'm actually not going to preach the entire passage that's, that's sort of written for you. We're going to split it into two over the next couple of weeks. Um, Malachi is laid out. Uh, Malachi written probably about 460 B.C. Um, Israel has now returned back to the land after being in exile in Babylon. Uh, the temple's been rebuilt um, this is probably a little before Ezra uh, comes along and, and the, all the great reform that happens under him. I get the, the sense that maybe Malachi is paving the way for that reform uh, under Ezra. Um, the temple's been rebuilt. Sacrifice, uh, have, have, the sacrifices have started back up again. Um, and that's sort of the, the setting. But it's written as a series of disputations. Uh, God makes an assertion to His people. And then they say something like, uh, really? How, how exactly is that going on? And then God responds with uh, the explanation of why he has, has made that assertion. Uh, so Malachi chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 14. Uh, it is our practice to stand when we read God's Word. So if you are willing and able to do that now, uh, let's stand as we read uh, God's Word together. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, 
that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord of hosts. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what, he, what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in this, your word. Use it to not just increase our understanding. Use it not just to, to give us knowledge. Use it to change us, to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, it seems to be less and less common these days. It seems to be uh, something that, that much of our world might treat as old-fashioned. Um, and it's kind of disappearing from the world stage in many ways. But it has long been uh, the practice, uh, especially in the South, in America, to teach children um, how to speak to adults, how to address adults. You, you teach them sir and ma'am and, and Mr. and Mrs., um, you call in people Mr. Jones and Mrs. Smith. We, we historically have taught that kind of, uh, of honor and respect to our kids. In some small towns, and this is actually kind of cool, to be honest with you, um, in, a, in, a, in a good small town church, uh, you, you'll get the Mr. or the Mrs. followed by a first name rather than a last name. Uh, you still get the honor and respect, but then you also get the church family familiarity of the first name, which is kind of uh, cool as well. Uh, but... Uh, it's typically been the case that you, we, we teach children to say Mr., Mrs., Ma'am, Sir, that sort of thing. The, the President of the United States, you know there's an office in the State Department whose whole job is to make sure that when, when the President of the United States goes to a foreign country, they know how to behave in said country. Their job, it's like their whole job is to train the president. Okay, you're going to visit the queen. Here are the things that you do. Here are the things that you don't do. Oh, you're going to go to Jordan. Here's the way to interact with the, the king in Jordan and how not. I mean, th their whole job is to teach that kind of protocol and etiquette for, for meeting foreign dignitaries and, and rulers from other places. For that matter, the Bible in Romans 13 tells us to give honor to whom honor is due and respect to whom respect is due. So the question then becomes, how should we as the church approach God? That's the question 
that Malachi deals with in this second dispute. And it's really got two parts to it. He addresses technically the priests in both parts, but in the first part, the part we're looking at this morning, it has a a much broader application to uh, the people of Israel on the whole than just the priests. And then he focuses on the priests next week. So maybe we'll skip that chapter, that part when it comes to it. See, I'm going to break our rule. You're supposed to laugh. That's where you're supposed to find that humor. Um, he asks the question, how are we supposed to approach God? Look at verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, then where is my fear? A son is supposed to approach his father with honor. Uh, the Bible says it. It's assumed here in, in Malachi 1. It's, it's certainly given in the Ten Commandments. It's reaffirmed in Ephesians 6. A servant, likewise, should approach his master with, with reverence. It's not, it's not fear because you're going to kill me. It's not fear, oh no, don't, don't destroy me kind of fear. It's, it's an honor and respect and a reverence kind of fear. And so God is making the argument to us. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. (coughs) If this is how you're supposed to treat your earthly father, then how much more should you come to your heavenly father who's infinitely greater than your earthly father with honor and respect? An argument from the lesser to the greater says... Well, if this is how I'm supposed to treat this person, then any, anyone superior to them gets the same or better. Right? It's, just, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And that's exactly what God, the, the argument that God is making through his mouthpiece, Malachi, here in chapter 1. If earthly fathers are supposed to be honored, if earthly masters are supposed to be feared and reverenced, revered, then how much more should God be treated the same way or better? Now let me make a, a sort of a side comment. There's, I think there's a lot of the, the broadly evangelical world of 2019 that would really balk at the idea of calling God a master. That sounds too oppressive in many people's minds. It sounds too diff- like that sounds too harsh. You can't call God your master, they might say. I think there's a lot in broadly evangelical world that would be uncomfortable with that word. But God is clearly our master. He's he's assumed to be here in this passage even by himself. He's our father and our master. He's created us. He's he begat us, if you want to use some good old King James English. We exist because He brought us into our existence, and so He's our Father and our Master. Some of you perhaps grew up with fathers who, are, who, who left, who ran away, uh, who didn't love you, who didn't care for you, uh, who have modeled for you a poor example of this kind of father, of the kind of father that God is. 
don't let your earthly father's mistakes change the way you perceive God. He is the perfect, the only perfect, loving father we can ever know. And so, Father, God comes to us, <clears throat> comes to his people, and he says, A son honors his father. I am a father. How much more should I be honored? A servant fears his master. I'm a master. How much more should I be feared? For that matter, Jesus himself uses master language when he says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He doesn't say there's no yoke. He doesn't say there's no burden, but he says it's bearable. It's light. Uh, the one that I give you, the one that I place on you. You should also know, by the way, and this surely is obvious in itself in verse 6, if then I am a father. That's, that's not really a conditional if. Like, that's not an if where you get to decide, well, but you're not. So the rest of the sentence doesn't matter. Now that, it's really more like a sense. As a father, because I'm a father, then how much more should I be honored? These Israelites, however, are despising God's name. I can tell this the sinus thing I've had this past week is coming back slowly but surely. My voice is dying. We may end up cutting out part of the sermon just to make sure I survive. Um, but he, he accuses them of despising his name there at the end of verse 6. God's name is his character. To, to talk about his name is to talk about him. And to despise his name, to despise him as father and as master is to despise God himself. How? How are they despising His name? How are they failing to honor and, and reverence God? Well, they're, they're offering sacrifices. The temple's rebuilt. They're, they're now back to offering sacrifices again. But they're bringing, you know, the, the lamb that you can't sell in the marketplace. The, the, it's got a broken leg. The thing can't even walk. You're having to carry it in here. It can't see. It's blind. It's it's all messed up. It's you know I don't mange kind of missing chunks of wool on his back. I don't I don't know what all's going on with these animals. But we're told in verse eight they're blind, they're lame, they're sick, they're useless. In other words, there's absolutely nothing else that the people could do with these animals. Let's just take him to God. He'll accept it. He'll love me anyway. He won't judge me for. I mean, look, I'm, I'm giving him an offering from my flock. See how great and wonderful that is. See how great and wonderful I am that I would bring him this lame, blind animal from the flock. Do you give? God, the useless and the cast off? Or do you give God the best? That's the question. Do, do you give to God the, 
sort of the, the crumbs that you can scrounge up? Or do you give to Him the best? From a, a corporate worship standpoint, are you staying up all hours of the night on Saturday and, and dragging in here on Sunday and grumbling and complaining about the whole thing? Wishing you didn't have to be here. Maybe you're kind of thinking, well, it's God. He's already accepted me in Christ. He's really not going to judge me. He's not going to kick me out. So it really doesn't matter. He's going to love me anyway. So I can kind of, you know, show up in here half-hearted and, and treat worship that way. Or even as we read a few minutes ago in our, our New Testament reading, technically we owe God more than just Sunday morning. We owe Him every minute of every day that our lives are to be sacrifices for him do we give him the best and the first and the greatest or do we maybe when it's all said and done i'll have some left over and i'll give some of that to god maybe possibly perhaps time money energy time with him whatever the case may be back in leviticus chapter one uh, we have this, um, and, and we, could, we could go any number of places for this, by the way. What are we, what were the Israelites supposed to be bringing God? What kind of, of animals were they supposed to bring Him? Leviticus 1, verse 3. If His offering is a burnt offering from the herd, He shall offer a male without blemish. Verse 10. If His gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, He shall bring a male Without blemish. Chapter 3, verse 1. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, uh, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 3. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. You, You hear the pattern over and over and over again people of Israel, the people in Malachi's day, we are to offer to God that which is without blemish. People of Israel, God's people here, fifth century or so before Christ came, owed to God the best, the spotless, the without blemish animals from their herds. In fact, God says to them in verse 8, you give better gifts than that to your governor. So take the animal you bring in here for worship and offer that to your boss. Take that and offer that to your governor. Would you use counterfeit money to pay your taxes to the IRS? We give better gifts than that to people that let us stay in their homes for a weekend in, a, in, a, in their guest room. That's the, 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 um, the, the, the thing coming from God. That's the, the accusation coming from God to the people. The biggest problem is it reflects not just their knowledge of the law. It reflects their hearts. It reflects on their gratitude. Because the offering they were bringing says, this is how thankful I am. I'm I'm thankful enough to bring you, you know, the broken-legged, blind animal from my herd. You remember the movie Cars, the Disney movie, Pixar? 
Um, Cars is one of the best, by the way. Uh, so there's a, there's a scene, there's a race in Cars between Chick Hicks and Lightning McQueen and uh, the King. There, it's, it's, it comes down to these three cars. They have to have a, a one race between just the three of them to see who wins the Piston Cup. And Lightning McQueen's about to cross the line. And he's way out in front. And Chick Hicks is behind the King. And he's trying to get around him. And the King keeps blocking him and won't let him get by. And so Chick Hicks rams him. Sends him off into the infield. Spinning, flipping, wreck. Dust, dirt. I mean, he's just beat. Lightning McQueen sees it on the on the, the sort of screen up at the end of the track. Slams on the brakes right before the finish line. And so he goes back to help the king and, and says, I, I just think the king should should cross the finish line in his last race. Well, so Chick Hicks wins. Chick Hicks gets the piston cup. Well, he's in victory lane and he's in there doing his kachiga, kachiga, doing his whole thing, right? And then he says, bring out the cup. Not recognizing, of course, he's the only one celebrating. And all of a sudden, from off camera, it's an animated movie, of course, but from off camera, the cup comes flying in and hits him in the side and just kind of sits there and rattles. No cheering, no celebrating. No rejoicing, no fanfare, no hoopla, and he's angry. Chick Hicks is angry. He got the cup he wanted, only to realize there was no love. He got the the trophy, but without any love whatsoever, it was a meaningless trophy. It was just an empty cup. Is that the offering we bring to God? I mean, I'm giving a lamb, but look, God, I'm, I'm bringing you the lamb. And it's the second born. That's kind of close to the first born. It's, you know, I mean, three legs work fine. It drags the back right leg a little. One of his eyes, I think he can still see. Because if you put him down and let him walk, he doesn't quite run into stuff, but you can see him. He's, he's hesitant. So I think one of the eyes, actually, he can still see. We come in with this, this offering and say, look how great this is. And it reflects a heart of, that lacks love, that lacks gratitude, that lacks honor and fear of God. How often do we unlovingly and, and frustratedly and agonizingly and unrepentantly sort of toss worship at God? And say, here, take this, loveless though it might be. God, it's worth far more than half-hearted, loveless worship. From time to time you hear people say, Things like worship is so lame. I really hate going to church. It's a really hassle, to be honest with you. I mean, I get to give up my whole morning, and that preacher, he's just so long winded. He doesn't know when to stop. And I'd love for him to stop about 20 minutes sooner than he does. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, I, it would, life would be so much better if I didn't have to go 
at all. I don't get anything out of it. It's, it's really probably a waste of my time, and, and to be completely brutally honest with you. In this passage, those aren't the words of a rebellious teenager. They're not the words of a freshly enlightened college graduate. They aren't the words of a a tired mom trying to get multiple kids out the door at once. They're God's words. Look at verse 10. It's God who says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not light that fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. God says, I take no pleasure. God Himself says, I might as well not even go. Better that the doors be closed than that you bring this lame, half-hearted, cast-off animal as an offering. Why is that such a big deal? Why is that such a big deal to God? For one, it says, I'm only this grateful. I'm only this thankful for your love. For another, it says... Any old sacrifice will do to atone for my sin. Is that true? Jesus was perfect. Jesus had to be spotless. Jesus had to be without blemish. Jesus had to be sinless. Jesus had to be the perfect, spotless Lamb of God in order to atone for our sins. These animals... Point to Him. And when you bring lame animals into the temple in 5th century Israel, you're saying any old sacrifice is good enough. And God says, I'm going to give you my son. I love you enough to give you my perfect son. Not any old sacrifice will do. Only the sacrifice of my son will do to atone For your sin. And notice too. That this isn't. Let me give this sacrifice. So that God loves me. This section came after. Verse 2. Where God says. I love you. Why have you loved us? I've loved you because I love you. In other words. We give not to gain His favor. We give out of gratitude for having already received it. We worship. We show Him honor and reverence in our daily lives, in corporate worship, in, in, and reflect the fact that we are thankful, grateful for salvation that is in Christ. The perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb who bled and died For you. Will we show God that kind of gratitude with the lives that we live, the honor and reverence we give to Him? We pray that He would grant that to us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
We know we're unworthy of Your love. We know that we're not deserving of Your favor. In fact, we saw that last week in the previous passage. And certainly here, we're not giving to gain Your favor. We're giving in response to it. Father, may it be that we love You because You first loved us. May it be that we are grateful for our salvation. We're great, grateful for our breath. We're grateful for our lives. We're grateful for the favor we've found in Christ. And may we show that favor in our lives. In the offering, the sacrifice we give to You. And Father, we thank You that it took a spotless lamb without blemish with no marks against Him, perfectly sinless, to live and gain righteousness that we could not, and who could then bleed and die and pay the debt that we owe. Father, we pray that You would grow in us a deeper gratitude for Christ, a deeper love and honor and fear for You, For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.